0: Well, it is Palm Sunday, and uh, you know Palm Sunday comes once a year, and it comes every year. We all know what happens Palm Sunday, don't we? Don't we? We got I look, got a little video I want to show you right now that that maybe some of us don't understand what Palm Sunday is about. So, Larry, would you run that little video and let's just uh, see what Palm Sunday is about for some people. Hey, Tommy and Eddie here
1: to talk to you about something really great, Palm Sunday. Yeah, that's the Sunday
2: that we paint our palms purple to commemorate King Saul talking to that palm reader lady, and then we wave him in the air.
1: (laughs) No, no it's not. Yes it is. No it's not. Yes it is. What Bible do you read? Palm Sunday commemorates the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. Now picture this, Jesus rode in on a donkey while the crowds put their cloaks and palm branches all over the ground shouting, Hosanna to the son of David.
2: That's what I said. That's what I meant.
1: Okay, now picture this. Jesus' popularity was going viral. I mean, he just raised Lazarus from the dead in the same community just a few days earlier.
2: Wait, post-dead Lazarus was maybe at the very first Palm Sunday?
1: Yeah, probably. That's so cool. I
2: bet if he was there, he was probably like,
1: and you're a thriller, thriller, Jesus. You raised me from the dead when you said get up, get up. Now, to complete all of this, Jesus needed a donkey. Now, you'd think that a king or a prince would ride in on a horse, but not Jesus. He knew the message that he wanted to send. You see, a donkey represents peace. Anybody riding a donkey represented peaceful intentions.
2: Yeah, it says right here in Matthew 21, it says that Jesus sent two of his disciples to get him a donkey. Yeah. I wonder which two he sent. Mm, maybe Thomas. I doubt it. I bet he sent Andrew. Andrew would totally do that, and probably... Tony,
1: I bet he said Andrew and Tony. Tony's not a disciple. Oh, sorry, Tony is. Still, not a disciple. What translation of the Bible do you read? Jesus needed a donkey, so he asked two disciples to go get him a donkey. He told them they would find one in town, tied there next to a colt. Yeah, 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 and then he says, untie them and bring them
2: to me, and if somebody asks you about it, you tell them the Lord needs them? Jeez.
1: Yeah, what?
2: Well, Jesus told his disciples to go steal a donkey for him.
1: What Bible do you read? It doesn't say that at all. I can't figure this out.
2: I mean, Jesus, he changed water into wine. Cool. He fed the 4,000. He fed right? the 5,000. What?
1: He fed the 5,000. It doesn't matter. It does matter. Not the fourth. It's the 5,000. We're splitting hairs. I'm sorry.
2: Jesus fed a large group of people. and That's cool. He, he healed people with leprosy. He raises Lazarus from the dead, and then boom, he's like, hey guys, go steal me a donkey. I'm just saying, I don't think that's very WWJD.
1: The significance of Jesus riding in on a donkey, which he did not steal, was to fulfill the prophecy that is found in Zechariah 9 9.
2: Yeah, but.
1: the... And the king riding in on a lowly donkey with his way paved with palm branches. The palm branches symbolize triumph or victory. The what? The palm branches. The bran. I palm thought- branches, Palm the- Sunday. I thought it was, the palm,
2: they should call it Branch Sunday, because that's confusing. We all have palms with us all
1: the time. I just, I feel bad. I'm
2: sorry, Palm Sunday.
1: Palm Sunday is a time for us to prepare our hearts for the agony of his passion and the joy of his resurrection. So this week, let's cover the road to the cross with our hearts, our souls, and our minds as we reflect on the final week of Jesus' life.
2: And let's celebrate in anticipation the return of the King of Kings.
0: I'm not sure if you had such a messed up version of Palm Sunday as this guy did, but uh, he was pretty good Michael Jackson though, wasn't he? That was a lot better than I could do. But Palm Sunday, it is a day that Jesus entered Jerusalem at his most popular hour. Now understand this, that prior to this time, Jesus had been in ministry for about three years He was about 30 years old at this point in time, and he um, had lived a perfect life, and um, he was very, um, he'd come through some hard times, because Jesus knew what it was to celebrate with his disciples, and he knew what it was also to be rejected and to be scorned by men. You know, we think often that Jesus had this great big following, but you know, a lot of people left him. Do you know that? There were a lot of people that started off with Christ, but they got to the point where Jesus was talking about some things they didn't fully understand, and uh, they kind of gave up. said, too hard. This guy is just out there too much for me. And so Jesus wasn't always popular with everybody. But yet we find this time coming right now that this was, as these gentlemen mentioned, this was, the popu- this was the top of his popularity charts. He was going off the scales here. He was very popular at this time. And uh, things were really good. So he, he's coming in now into this week of Passover being a very popular guy. And what we're going to talk about today is expectations. What were the expectations given to Jesus that day from various people? Let's read, first of all, about this triumphal entry into Jerusalem. You can open up your Bible with me if you want to, to Matthew chapter 21, or you can read it on the screen as Larry puts it up. Matthew chapter 21, starting at verse 1, it says this, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. Father, we just thank you for your word, and we thank you that you are uh, giving us good direction and clear thought. So God, as we now enter into this time of discussion, I pray that you would be glorified. We pray that you, uh, would, be, um, that you would be all about you, Jesus, and that you would just come in and you would clear up any thoughts or any, uh, dis- just, uh, anything that would come into us that would distract us and just give us clearness of our hearts, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. So as we look at Palm Sunday, I want to talk about five different groups of people that are in this story here. And I want to talk about the expectations that each group had because they all came in with a different set of expectations of what this week was going to be. There were, first of all, the groups we want to talk about are, number one, the Jewish zealots. We want to talk about the city people, the normal, everyday city people. We're going to talk about the Pharisees, who are the religious leaders of the day. We'll talk about the disciples, those that follow Jesus. And then lastly, we're going to talk about Jesus himself. And uh, we want to talk about the uh, different expectations that these groups of people had as they, as they followed Jesus into this time of great celebration. Now, I'm not talking about the Roman government here yet because they don't really come into the picture yet. They come in later in the week. So I didn't forget about them. It's just that they're not really appropriate right now in Palm Sunday. So I want to take the next few minutes and talk about them because each each group, including us today, we have expectations about what our life is supposed to be. We have expectations um, about what God is doing in our life, whether it's expectations for the next week or expectations for the next 50 years. We have various expectations, and and what's really important here is not necessarily if our expectations are accurate or that they're met the way we expect, but really what's important is that how do we handle it when our expectations are not met, when God has a different plan than maybe what we expect? And I think that's a place where we all are walking in our lives, probably daily, Because we have different expectations and we are thinking that God is going to come along and fulfill everything we expect. And maybe he says, I've got a different plan. I've got a little different thing I want you to focus on. And so the, the challenge for us today, how do we deal with that? How do you deal when God changes your plans? And we're going to talk a little bit about expectations this morning. So let's talk about each group. Let's talk about the Jewish zealots. Now, in this time frame, understand what's going on here that the Roman government has been ruling over the land of Israel for many years and it has been a very dominated very heavily handed government the Romans taxed the Jewish people very heavily Um, the Romans have a pagan religion that is totally contrary to Jewish beliefs and the Jewish people are really held under bondage they're really being clamped down and as a result of this there is quite often there would be different groups of Jewish men that would rise up and lead rebellions to try to set the Jewish people free from the bondage of Rome. And uh, so when Jesus comes on the scene, here we have this man that's been on the scene now for three years and he's gaining popularity and he seems to be pretty powerful. He's healing people. He's raising people from the dead. He's speaking mighty things. He's walking on the water. He's feeding 5,000 people, and different time it was 3,000 or 4,000 people. We don't know exactly how many people he fed. Those were just men. Think about all the women and children about that. He probably fed 20,000 people with five loaves and two fishes. So all of a sudden, this man is rising in popularity and rising in power, and these Jewish zealots are thinking, Hey, 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 I like this. This guy may be the ticket this guy might be the one that is going to set us free from the Roman bondage. This is the guy that we're going to hang our hat on. This is the guy that we're going to promote because he's the one that's going to come in and establish, finally going to establish a Jewish king. And so we're going to call him king of the Jews, which he was, but maybe not the way the Jewish zealots were thinking. So we have this group coming in here thinking that Jesus is the cool dude, and he's it, and he's the man. In fact, Jesus even kind of maybe led him along a little bit because one of his, one of his twelve disciples was a zealot. Simon the zealot was called twice in, in Luke chapter six, verse fifteen, and also in Acts chapter one, verse thirteen. He was known as Simon the zealot. So here the zealots are thinking he's even got one of us in this in his inner, inner, inner circle. This is cool, man. This is the guy that's going to finally lead us out. So they were expecting here when Jesus comes riding in on his donkey, they might have really wished it would have been a white horse. A white horse would have meant more of a kingly role. Okay, so maybe they were a little bit put off, but he comes, he comes in a pinto versus a Cadillac. <laughs> he wanted the big dude. He wanted the limousine. They wanted the, They wanted the the... the, the Popemobile. They wanted the big deal, but Jesus comes in on a donkey. Well, they kind of overlook that little expectation maybe. But, but clearly, you can hear the expectation. Look at John chapter 12. John chapter 12, verses 12 through 13. And think of this in the mind of the zealot. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was, was on his way to Jerusalem. And they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. So clearly these guys are thinking, this is going to be our political savior. He is going to come and set us free from the Roman Empire. They had their deliverer and they had it all set. Jesus was going to be their king. Now, we're going to see later... Ask the question, were their expectations met? Were the Jewish zealots, were they pleased in what happened? (laughs) Were their expectations met in what happened that week for Jesus the King? And then let's look at the city people. The city people. These are the people that are in the Jerusalem city proper that um, hard to believe maybe for us that didn't know who Jesus was. There were many people that day that we're hearing all the commotion out there, seeing this guy riding in on a donkey, all these people waving palm branches, laying their coats on the ground, letting the donkey walk on them, crying out, making all this noise to the point where the Pharisees even told him, Jesus, to make your people be quiet. And that's where Jackie came up with it, which is absolutely right. This is the time when Jesus said, if they don't praise me, the rocks will cry out. So there was a lot of commotion going on here. And there were people in the city didn't have a clue what was going on. Matthew chapter 21 tells us, starting at verse 10, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? Who is this guy? Now, maybe it's hard for you and I to imagine that there were people that didn't know who Jesus was. But yet, is it really that difficult? Look at our society today. Look at all the people that we know in our communities, in our society that don't know who Jesus is. Is it so surprising that in that day, without Internet, without CNN and Headline News and Fox Channel and all this other stuff, that they could actually be people that didn't know who Jesus was? Well, absolutely there were. And here's the sad part about it, people. There is that many people today around us that don't even know who he is. So let's not be surprised at the city people and their reaction because these people are all around us today. Who is this? So they really didn't have any idea what was going on. They just thought a party was coming to town. They didn't know. And then we have the Pharisees. Now, we all know about the Pharisees. They were the religious leaders of the Jewish people. These were the learned men of Israel. These were the experts in the law. These were the people that should not have missed the prophecies that were talked about. But the Pharisees totally had different expectations. I did a little research on them, and this is what I read on one of the people that I read about this week. It says, it says this, The name Pharisee in its Hebrew form means separatist or the separated ones. They were also known as the quesadim, which means loyal to God or loved by God. Extremely ironic in view of the fact that by his time, by the time of Christ, they made themselves the most bitter and deadly opponents of Jesus Christ and his message. The Pharisees perhaps meant to obey God, but eventually eventually they became so devoted and extremist in very limited parts of the law, plus all the parts that they added to the law, that they became blind to the Messiah when he was in their very midst. They saw his miracles. They heard his words, but instead of receiving it with joy, they did all that they could to stop him, eventually to the point of getting him killed because he truthfully claimed to be the Son of God. So the Pharisees had different sets of expectations. These are the group that were the main plotters to kill Jesus. Now, why do you think that was? Well, think about what Jesus represented to them. Jesus was a threat to their authority. He was a threat to their position of uh, leaders in the Jewish synagogues. They were a threat to their job security. And so they clearly did not like this new kid on the block here that came with a different sense of power. They were not liking this because they saw him to be different. And they probably really saw more of the truth of it than what they want to admit. I mean... I don't know how a man can be learned as much as they were and be blinded truly without having this pride within them rise up to say, I don't like this, when they probably knew all along that he was probably right on. He prob- they probably knew deep in their heart that Jesus was who he said he was. But their human pride and their fear of losing their position of, th- of authority rose up inside of them to say no. And then, like everything else, when they get others around them in the same company, they came in together and said, yeah, we." they they fear fed upon fear and man upon man. But we all know Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee that went to Jesus at night, afraid of what the others would think, because they really saw, Nicodemus saw Jesus for who he really was, and that's when Jesus says, you have to be born again, and to be born again... You have to be born in the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to spirit. We all know that story about Nicodemus. So the Pharisees knew better, and Jesus knew they knew better. That's the thing. He knew they knew better, and they still rejected him. And I want to read some passages here that identify how Christ handled people that should have known better. Differently than how he handles sinners. It's important that we recognize the difference. So if you look, open up to your Bible to Matthew chapter 23. Jesus gives seven woes to the Pharisees. Now, I'm not going to read all seven of them, but let me just give you a few. Starting at verse 13. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. And then verse 25, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites, you are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to judge as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Verse 33, you snakes, you brode of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? Jesus knew how to handle his adversaries. <laughs> we often think that Jesus has this timid little man that accepts everybody and everything because he just loves everybody. Well, love is not blind. And love is not weak. Love is compassionate to those that don't know better. But for those that know better, love is a separator. Love is a dividing edge that comes in and says, why don't you guys just wake up? why don't you understand who you really are you pharisee you hypocrite i understand it i see it and jesus was no weakling he was no man afraid of himself and he stood up to these men and that's that's a great example for us because we need to understand and discern when we need to stand up against the world we need to stand up against what's not right what's not holy, what's not righteous, and not give in to those political pundits that want to say, no, we have to accept everybody and everything. If it doesn't line up with God's Word, we don't accept it. We don't accept it if it doesn't line up with God's Word. Jesus is a great example. Don't think that we have to bow down and, and give in to every worldly thing that would come in that would appear that is right when it's wrong. And we all know how things are getting twisted right now in our society. We all know how right is becoming wrong and right and wrong is becoming right. We're seeing it all the time. Just look around at any politically incorrect thing that's said or look around at the um, different agendas that are coming in from the uh, homosexual agendas to the... Um, well, you just name it. I, I, I just don't want to go there. You know what I'm talking about, do you? Right? Amen? Do we know that? Let's just understand that we have the God-given right to stand up against what our society says is right when we know it's wrong. Amen. So the Pharisees, uh, they had expectations, but their expectations were not the same one that Jesus had. And then we read about... The disciples. The disciples. This is an interesting group of guys, right? These are the true followers of Jesus. These are the ones that Jesus had been with for three years. He had trained them, lived with them, ate with them, slept with them, spoke with them. They saw him do miracles after miracle. They heard him teach. And there was more than just 12, by the way. There was, by this time, there was quite a following of Christ. There was... um, There were women involved as well as men. Remember that it wasn't that long ago that Jesus had just uh, resurrected Lazarus from the dead, so there was that group of people following him. There was quite a crowd that were following Christ. John chapter 12, verse 17, Now the crowd, didn't say the twelve, now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word, so his popularity was still growing. What do you think? What do you think the disciples were expecting of this week? What do you think the true followers of Christ were expecting to happen this week? I don't know exactly. I think there could be lots of answers for this one. And it's going to be fun when we get to heaven that we can sit down and talk with Antonius. (laughs) Tony, as uh, our buddy said. Um, and we can sit down and talk with these guys, which was not a disciple, by the way. When we can sit down and talk to these guys and say, what were you thinking? What was going through your mind? Wouldn't to be fun to, to, to have the time to talk to these guys? But I think that they were thinking differently than what Jesus was thinking. Even though Jesus tried to tell them numerous times why Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, many times Jesus explained to them his reason to come was to die. And these guys just didn't get it. They didn't get it. Matthew chapter twenty six verses one and two. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, "As you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be hanged, handed over to be crucified." He was very clear about it. But yet the disciples just didn't get it. In fact, in John chapter twelve, it tells us this in verse sixteen. He says, "At first his disciples did not understand all this. It was only after Jesus was glorified." Did they realize these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him? After he'd been glorified, meaning after he was dead, rose from the dead, and they saw him in his glorified body. It wasn't until after this thing was all over did the disciples really grasp it. So their expectations were probably all over the board. Some of them were probably lining up with the zealots a little bit, maybe. Some of them were, were had different expectations, which I don't know what they had, but it truly wasn't clearly what Jesus was doing and then what were the expectations of Christ what was Jesus expecting that that day that week now he was the only one that truly understood everything that was going to happen to him he understood it he saw it all happen he knew it before the foundation of the world I mean we have to recognize who this Jesus man God is fully God fully man he knew he knew what was he knew what was going to happen but yet the, the amazing thing about that is that he never gave in at all to the expectation that was expected of him he didn't give in to the fear that men have of knowing what was going to happen to him that week he knew the rejection he knew the pain he knew the suffering he knew the weep the whipping and the beating he knew that he knew the crucifixion was coming but yet jesus was never Never got mixed up. Never put that in front of his true mission. His true mission was to save the people at the expense of himself. Luke chapter 19, starting at verse 41, the contemporary English version of the translation says this, When Jesus came closer and could see Jerusalem, he cried and he said, It's too bad that today your people don't know what will bring them peace. Now it is hidden from them. Jerusalem, the time will come when your enemies will build walls around you to attack you. Armies will surround you and close in on you from every side. They will level you to the ground and kill your people. Not one stone in your buildings will be left on top of another. And this will happen because you did not see that God had come to save you. Jesus' purpose, his expectation, was come to be the Savior. And he never allowed... The fear, the understanding, the pain that was going to come to him to distract him or detour him from his purpose. He knew that. And that's what makes it so amazing that he could still be that sacrifice for me. Let's go back and talk about those city people for a minute. You know, the ones that didn't really know what was going on. I think what was really cool about this was that Jesus was coming for those people as much as he was coming for his disciples those that knew nothing about Him. Jesus loved them just as much. And He was coming to fulfill His purpose and to fulfill His mission as much for those that had no idea of who He was as He was for those that had given up everything to be His disciple. Isn't that amazing? They thought, those people thought that this was just going to be another day, another Jewish celebration, another Passover, another deal, Another dealing with all these Jewish people coming into their city for another day, another season, but they were the focal point of Christ. That's who we deal with every day today. That's who we are called to be the witness to every day in our lives are the city people, are the people that don't come into our church services, the people that we don't normally associate with. Jesus loves those people. And he's died for those people, and he's asking us to take on his expectations for them the way that he had expectations for them. He's given us a challenge here. The compassion of Jesus is so clear in his comments, even for the Pharisees. That's an even amazing thing, too. For those that were rejecting him, he was for them as well. Jesus would have the Pharisees return or repent. Matthew chapter 23, verse 37, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you you who kill the prophets, the Pharisees, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. Isn't that amazing that our Christ had a compassion for those that crucified him? We read, we hear, we remember Jesus saying on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And that was after every time that man would drive that hammer, boom. Father, forgive them, boom. Father, forgive them, boom. Oh, what a Savior. What an amazing sacrifice. What an amazing example for us. But yet we have somebody say a bad word about us and we get angry. We can't forgive people. Because somebody turns their back on us. Remember, bam, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Bam, Father, forgive them. Can we get that? Can we understand the significance of forgiveness? I don't know that we get it. I don't know that we get how important forgiving people is. I'm speaking to Mike Way right now. Wow. I hate it when he does this to me. I'm supposed to be talking to them. (laughs) Not supposed to come to me, I'm the preacher. (laughs) Sorry, I gotta lighten it a little bit because it's getting too heavy. But we have to understand the expectations that the Lord has placed on us as Christians. We have expectations placed on us. They may not be our expectations. I may have a whole different set of things that I'm expecting the Lord to do in my life, but the Lord says, Mike, if you'll just give it over to me, will you just listen to me? Will you just listen to me and then follow me and allow things to happen in your life that will bring you freedom? Forgiveness is freedom. Forgiveness is freedom. What about that Jewish zealot? What do you think they were thinking when it all came down differently? Do you think they saw Jesus for who he really was? Yeah, I think some of them did. You know, we're given. What about the Pharisees? There's one Pharisee that I know for sure did. And that was Paul. Paul was the chief of all the Pharisees. Later in his life, it was, was a ways down here where Jesus came to him on the road, and we all know that story, but Pharisees were also, I'm sure they saw different things too. And I, I'm just, it'll be interesting when you get to heaven to, feel, to see who are the cast of characters in heaven then. Who, uh, who's there that we didn't expect to see and who's not there that we expected to see. It's going to be interesting, isn't it? But I want to just close this today. Jackie, if you'd come, and let's just want to, I just want to help us as we look at the next week of what Easter season's about. And we look at what's going to happen over the next Good Friday and Easter and all these things. And I guess I just want to set expectations and I want to ask the question about your expectations What are you expecting of Christ in your life? What are you really thinking this is going to be about? Do you think Christ is all about me, about you? Or do you think it's about him and about others? I think sometimes our expectations become so inwardly focused that we think that God is here to please me And to make my life comfortable and to make my life smooth and to give me all the answers. Well, I like answers, and I like it when life is smooth. I do like that. But that's not God's purpose in my life all the time. And he's not the purpose in your life all the time because there's a lot of things happen to us that we don't understand. And I think that when we could clearly recognize, like we sang early about this morning, How worthy God is, and how holy God is, and how majestic He is. If we could see Jesus for who He really is, I think it would help us so much in our expectations of who we are, and that we are to gain our strength and our source from Him. And as we do that, how our life makes a difference, it has a different significance to it. Because all of a sudden, we see ourselves now as a follower of the Christ, not a follower of myself. And when I can put him first, I can have that mentality that Jesus had about his purpose of being there that week, his purpose of being there that day. John chapter 12, verse 27, Jesus says this, now I'm very troubled. What should I say? This is during the week that's coming upon Jesus. Should I say, Father, save me from this time of suffering? No, I come to this time so that I could suffer. Father, do what will bring glory to you. Then a voice came from heaven. I have already brought glory to myself. I will do it again. The people standing there heard the voice. They said it was thunder, but others said an angel spoke to him. Jesus said, that voice was for you and not for me now is the time for the world to be judged now the ruler of this world will be thrown out who is the devil I will be lifted up from the earth when that happens I will draw all people to myself and Jesus said this to show how he would die the people said but our law says the Messiah will live forever so why do you say the son of man must be lifted up who is this son of man Jesus came and fulfilled every expectation of God that day He fulfilled the expectation of his Father that day. That's the expectations we should be seeking after today. We should be seeking the expectation of our Father so that when we fulfill his expectations, we, like Christ, are obedient to that, and then he looks at us and he honors us. Just like we talked about in Sunday school today, how he honors us when we are obedient to his Son. So this morning, What is your expectation? Who are you expecting to please? Let's just close our eyes. Let's just ask ourselves that question for a minute. Lord Jesus, I just come to you and I ask God that you would... Open my eyes of my heart and take away the blinders that maybe I've placed over my heart. Help me to see clearly, truly, the expectations that you have for me and help me to embrace them, Lord, as my goal to succeed with. Help me not to be blinded to what you would have me to do. Help me to be open to that and help my mind and heart to be clearly anticipating and expecting the miraculous to happen in my life. Father, I pray that I would be an example, that this church would be an example to our community. Lord, that we would look at the city people as deserving of your love and as the apple of your eye so that we would go to them and be Jesus to them. We would share love for them, that we would forgive them. Lord, for all of us that have oughts with our brothers and sisters, I pray, God, that you would bring forgiveness in our life. Let us truly understand the significance of what it is to forgive as you forgave, that we would see your expectations and that we would honor your expectations in our life. And God, when I have the questions that come, I pray that I can just give them to you. I know that you're big enough to handle my questions. I know that you're big enough to handle the things that I don't understand. So God, I just pray that I would be able to fully give myself in my questions and then see and accept how you fulfill the expectations. I thank you for this, Jesus. I thank you for your mercies and your grace. Now, this morning, before we go, I just want to make sure that everyone has an opportunity here to know who Jesus is. This morning, if you've never really seen Jesus or if you don't know who he is this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to accept him. All eyes are closed. One more time, please. I just want to give an opportunity. No, this has not been a salvation message. I understand that. But that doesn't mean the Holy Spirit doesn't work. And I don't want anyone to leave here without without that opportunity to give their heart to Christ. So this morning if you if there's something in your heart that says I want that relationship. I want to change my expectations. I want the expectations of the Father in my life. Would you just raise your hand to the Father and say, "Lord Jesus, I need you. I need you." now to our homes and just be with us fathers we honor you this week we love you we praise your name we honor you in Jesus name amen amen have a great day in the Lord today stick around in fellowship with those are around here and just enjoy the presence of Jesus amen